love, that very word, how much does it capture? Everybody needs love. And yet, we find it so elusive to find healthy love, nurturing love. It lies at the heart and foundation of all of life. Like water to a flower, love is to the human spirit. What would life be without love? Can a child grow up healthy without love? And even with the love that we get, is it a functional love or a dysfunctional one? Is love selfish or selfless? Books upon books, poems, songs. How many things have been created in the name of love, in the search for love? And yet, is still something we're all looking for. Please join me in this critical discussion on the Kabbalah of love and discover what is love, what is true love, what is healthy love, what is unhealthy love, and how do we create meaningful and sustainable relationships that, yes, can last into eternity. Hi, this is Simon Jacobson, and we will be speaking about the Kabbalah of love. This program is lovingly dedicated in honor of Yaakov Ezra upon his bar mitzvah on the 4th of Elul, and it's in honor of his loving family, Thomas and Aviva, Daniela Bracha, Zohar Nava, Asher Yehuda, and Lillian Rachel Gorni. May Yaakov Ezra grow up to be an ambassador of divine light, illuminating and warming the world with his unique energy, bringing pride to his family, community, the Jewish people, and the entire globe. Love, that four-letter word, love. How many volumes have been written about this? Everybody needs love, and yet it remains so elusive. Best-selling books continue to sell because no one's mastered it. What would the world look like without love? Can a human being survive? A child growing up without any love. What would happen to that child? Unfortunately, we've seen the consequences of that. It lies at the heart and the foundation of everything, of relationships, of security, of confidence, of attachment. For nine months, every one of us spent in our mother's womb. That's a, an embrace. We develop a connection, an attachment, a love. So many ways you can say love is the essence of attachment. But it's more than attachment. It's not just two things connecting. It's being nurtured by that connection. Like being submerged in water. We are completely surrounded 
And that creates a certain calm, a certain confidence, a certain sense of belonging. And the lack thereof is what we call attachment disorder. Indeed, in Hebrew, the word for love, ava, is the same gematria, the same numerical equivalent as the word for echad, unity, connection, attachment. And yet, love remains so difficult to attain. As the cliche goes, you can't live without it, and you can't live with it. Look how much pain is caused by people who are in love. One day, people are love, inseparable. A little while later, they're fighting an ugly war in a divorce court. So let's talk about this most important of topics. And what can we learn about it from, yes, the mystics, thousands-of-year-old formula, time-tested formula, that is relevant today more than ever in helping us build healthy, sustainable relationships. Perhaps a good way to begin is by thinking of it from a biological perspective. The conventional, if you can call it such, the most prevalent theory about love is an evolutionary biological theory. I like to call it the Darwinian-Freudian model. And Darwin as in social Darwinism, social evolution. And that is the concept that it's a need, just like any other need. Biology teaches us that life, survival of the fittest, natural selection, is based on whatever is going to perpetuate the species. Whatever works best, that's what the species will gravitate to. The most important cardinal rule in all of, of all existence is perpetuating yourself. Because if you die out, the species dies out, it's all over. Now, no one's been able to explain why perpetuation itself is important. Why can't things just die? I mean, millions of species have died out, according to these theories. And yet it seems to be an important, and maybe the most important thing, perpetuation of the species. This defines the sexual behavior of the female, of the male. I mean, books and books and books continue to be written on this topic. And as such, the way nature has made it, in order to have the gene pool to continue to go through changes, contributions of each different, different DNA strands. So you have the male and the female component in all species. To bring them together, a concept arose, which is called love. Now, in the animal kingdom, do we actually call it love? Do they love each other? As we would call it romantic love in the human world? No one's ever interviewed animals to know. We study their behavior. There's definitely an element of tenderness and care in certain species. In certain species, you don't see that at all. It's completely raw, naked breeding in order to, to bring the next generation into the world. And you don't find anything that we would call loving. But you do find certain species a lot of love and care for each other and also, of course, for their offspring. Everyone knows the march of the penguins, how the penguins will march miles and miles, and how they'll sacrifice themselves 
to bear a child, to bear to be, to to, to um, watch the egg and protect it till it hatches in the freezing cold, and you see it all, you see the the connection they have with each other, and it reminds us of some of the romantic dreams and aspirations that humans have. But it's not that way with all species. Let's be very straight about that. So the argument would be that certain species have evolved because that's part of also to create the best offspring would be good if the parents get along with each other or even love each other to some extent. But there are many species where they just breed, they never see each other again. And they will actually find other partners because that's best for the perpetuation of the species. So in that sense, love is simply an accessory. Someone may not even call it love. Read Schopenhauer on this, and it's quite chilling. That's just a biological trick to bring a male and female together, so there's an attraction. But the attraction is only a trick of nature, because you need them to breed. Nothing very romantic about that. In that, within that perspective, if you drive the point home, then human love, a lot of it, most of it, courtship and romance, is just an illusion. Some would even say a mutation, a mistake. It went too far. The whole point is perpetuating the species, so just get two people together, male and female, whatever works. Why do we need to have all this prelude? And go out on a date, let's go to a bar, let's go to a show, let's go to this, let's go to that. Courtship, warming, dating, warming up to each other. Do the act as animals do it and move on. Seems much more efficient. And yet many human beings will be very disturbed by that prospect. What do you mean? I want to be cared for. I want to care. I want to be loved. And how many arguments break out? around that, where the male just wants to be, we'll call it intimate. If it's really called intimate, there's another question which we'll try to address. And, therefore, and the male and female says, one second, I need you to care for me. I need flowers. I need dinner. I need to feel nurtured. I need to feel a sense of belonging. I need commitment. If you really drive the point home, you can say love is really an illusion. Now, I know most people would be repulsed and disturbed, as I said, by that idea. So what's the counter version? So the way the Bible, the Torah, and definitely the Kabbalah mysticism teaches is very, very different. The attraction of the genders is not based on breeding. It's not based on a biological need to perpetuate species. It's not based on survival of the fittest or natural selection or whatever it takes to make myself continue my genes to perpetuate. But rather, it's based on a fundamental concept called connection, unity. The way the Bible puts it is, God said, I will create a human being in my image, in the divine image, a transcendent divine entity. And how will I do it? Through male and female. Two partners, two halves of one whole. And indeed, the first creature was an androgynous one. Separated then to male and female, and that's why they're drawn to each other. So it's really about connecting to something greater than the sum of the parts. It is about attachment and connection. Think of it that way. If love is simply about breeding 
and bring life into this world, then you can say, you know what? Attachment is not that important. But we know today, psychologically, we all know how attachment is important. When children are ripped away from their parents, God forbid, young age, the studies have been done. Adopted children, children who lost parents, who never met their mother. It has dramatic effect, much more than we ever could have imagined. You think a child, a child is, is passive, almost inanimate, has no feelings, a little newborn child, what would it know? But it does know. Just as it knows that for nine months its psyche was saturated with the connection that it had through the umbilical cord with its mother, but more than the umbilical cord, being completely submerged in the embryonic fluids, f- feeding, drinking, breathing what, it mother's, what the child's mother is eating, breathing, and drinking. And more than that, the mo- the mo- it's part of the mother's being, the mother's attitudes. Psyche shapes that child. And that's not for a day, it's for nine months. And the connection continues when we're born. Even after the umbilical cord physically is severed, there's still the connection. Besides the physical dependency, there's the emotional dependency. And today, more and more is being discovered how those early stages of life will shape the child forever. Our very self-confidence is built on that connection. Think of a bird without a nest. What would it do to the bird? A human being born in a homeless situation. You never have the confidence, the security. Look at what happens when children are taken away from their homes or even with their families, move. It has deep impact. Sometimes it needs to be done, but it shouldn't be minimized. That children are simply resilient, they'll figure it out. That's an adult excuse of trying to minimize the effects of their behavior. Divorce is not so bad. No, for a child, they want to know their father's coming home, their mother's coming home. What bed I'm sleeping in. These things shape coordinates that become the constants in our lives that we know we can depend on. When those constants are shaken up, it's like a building without a foundation or a wavering foundation, what do you think will happen? After a while, you stop relying. You feel, I, can't, I don't have security. And you start developing all kinds of mechanisms to compensate for that. And when you get older, you're going to have trust issues and love issues and commitment issues. It's natural. It's normal. Because you haven't given me, I did not receive something that was constant in my life. So love, in that sense, is not just about pleasure. It's not just about sexuality. Not even just about intimacy. It is intimacy. But I mean intimacy, not the act of intimacy. It's the life of intimacy. What is intimacy? It's much more than an act. Intimacy is a state of being. Yes, you feel you belong. You feel that you're wanted. You feel that you're loved. You feel that you deserve love. And the foundations of your life do not waver and shake. And if parents ever do need to move, they have to think about it very much, whether it's worth it. And if they do, how do they compensate to make sure that the children feel secure? We don't understand child psychology well. As best as we have observed, and there are experts, no doubt, people who really understand children, but still we're not a child. So it's hard to put ourselves in the shoes of a child, but for a child, you you wonder, why would a child not leave a home that's abusive, destructive, dysfunctional. Open the door and leave. Because the child doesn't have a world to go to. Where is it going to? For a child walking over the threshold of, a ho- of, of the door of its home, it's like walking over the face of the earth. Out there, a hostile world, I don't know anyone. Or well, more than that, I don't even know that it exists. 
So for a child, this whole life is its home. And what happens in the home defines what the child's security will be like. So love, security, attachment, connection, commitment, all really synonymous at the end of the day. Not synonymous in the etymological sense of the word, but synonymous in this concept, in its spirit. The second point let's make about love that the Kabbalah, the mystics, teach us. That love is fundamentally spiritual, not physical. In the words of the Tanya, that true love is only possible when spirit dominates over matter. When what's primary is the sublime, not the tangible, not the material. Materialism divides, essentially, spirituality unites. I'm sitting in my chair, you're sitting in your chair. For me to give up my space, for me to allow you into my space, I need to give up my space. I share a piece of food with you, I have less food. That's the way it is in the material world of time and space. In spirituality, you and I could be sitting in two separate chairs, but we're connected as one, we care about each other. That transcends time and space. So love really is the transcendence of the material. It's equal, love equals transcendence. It's something that we're not taught. Some of us may instinctively know it. Some of us learn it from the process of elimination. Some of us learn it by example. When you see loving parents, what you're seeing is transcendence. They're transcending themselves for the other. This doesn't mean that their needs are not met. It means that love is not begin and end with your needs. It's the soul of love. Two bodies, two corpses, sorry for sounding morbid, can't love each other. Two souls love each other. And then they enter into a vehicle called the bodies, and their attachment continues and manifests also in a physical form. You hug someone that you love, you kiss someone that you love, doesn't, the love doesn't begin with a hug. The love begins with that we connect on a soulful level. And therefore now I want to hug you. Because I want to also manifest it in a physical way. We're spiritual beings on a physical journey, not physical beings on a spiritual journey. And love is the manifestation of that transcendent connection. The next thing about love, it's a journey. It's a spiritual journey. It's not just you reach love and that's it. To put it in a different words, love is a, not a verb but a noun. Yes, love can be a verb. But it's fundamental nature that it's a state of being. And that state of being is constantly going through a journey. It's the journey of souls intersecting, of souls connecting. It's the journey from fragmentation to unity, from being splintered to being attached and connected. When you add these elements into the picture, or actually replace the ones that you had in your mind about love with these concepts, you get a whole different reality. So I would submit that one of the reasons we fail so much at love or it's so elusive is not because we're not capable, because we haven't been taught what is it. What is it that you're aspiring for? You need to know what something is before you can say, I'm driven to get there. If you want to get to north and you decided you got to go south, you're never going to get to north. If you understand that love, the combination of everything I said before. One, that connection, unity. Two, transcendence. Three, the journey, state of being. 
and the journey, then you aspire for something very differently. If love is simply to get pleasure for the moment, sexual pleasure or other forms of pleasure, or even love as in companionship, I have someone to go to a party with, I have someone to have a conversation with, beautiful, but it can't begin and end. Or love, it's a need. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I need someone to validate me. I need someone to confirm. I need someone to, um, to, uh, to talk to about my feelings. Then love will be, once love is determined by that, then success and failure will be determined by that litmus test, by that barometer. But if love is what I've been describing, a spiritual sense of connection, a transcendence in your life, then it changes everything. Because then success depends on achieving exactly that. Love is not begin and end with needs. It's not what I need, and when I get what I need, fine. Love is a certain element of giving more than receiving. Getting out beyond yourself. Very different than filling up yourself. And when you get beyond yourself, you become more, not less. That's the ultimate irony. So the Kabbalah of love teaches us then what a true relationship is like. It's reciprocal. It's not about me and my needs, you and your needs. And you know what? They intersect like in a business negotiation. You give me what I want, I'll give you what you want. Like I remember asking a fellow who came to see me. And he's telling me about all his complaints about his uh, girlfriend or his spouse. This need is not being met. That need. So I said to him, and what about what you give? He says, well, I give according to what I get. I said, did you ever hear of unconditional love? Oh, yeah, of course. Beautiful. I'm happy to give unconditional love. If she does A, B, C, D, E, F, G, I'll give her unconditional love. So I said, but that's called conditions that you just described. He didn't even pick up on that. And that's based on a society, again, not at anyone's fault, what we're taught, a very biological, in the words of Richard Dawkins, selfish gene. The selfish gene, the selfish life, is looking, is looking for fulfillment. And part of that fulfillment is through love. Very different approach is the selfless soul is looking for expression. The selfless soul is looking for transcendence. And transcendence can only be when you get beyond yourself. We're not talking about annihilating yourself. We're not talking about becoming a doormat. We're talking about growing to a place that's greater than yourself, climbing a mountain where something that you couldn't achieve on your own. That's what another person offers. They have a different personality, different interests. You should embrace that. Many people say, I wish I had a spouse just like me. That's called narcissism. Narcissists fell in love with his own image, with his own reflection in the water. You want more? You want you? Go to a mirror. And look at a mirror. As one great rabbi said, a mirror is simply a glass with silver, coated with silver out his back. Take a pane of glass where you can see through and see other people and add money, silver, and you'll end up seeing yourself. Yes, we live in a world where you can look at yourself and you see yourself as the ultimate. Guy goes on a date, he talks about himself for two hours, then he turns to the girl and says, 
Okay, enough about me. Now, what do you think about me? Basically, two stages of narcissism. First, I talk about myself. Now, I want to hear what you have to say about me. Did you consider maybe there's something she or he has to say about themselves? Two different entities coming together, more than the sum of the parts. So it's critical to talk about this because many of us have not gotten this in school or in our education systems or the role modeling that we've had around us. So we're left with default. We're left, what do we pick it up in the media, which altogether is an illusion, in Hollywood, in novels. Some of it is beautiful, beautiful illusions, but they don't, they're not based on reality. They're not based on the attachments and commitments that are necessary. A real story would be told of how a child from its youngest age, even in its mother's womb, begins with connection and attachment and then gets separated. And the separation continues to accelerate or decelerate to the point that the child loses its sense of self, its own dignity, the need to feel that I matter, and then is seeking to reconnect. The story of so many people's lives seeking to reattach. And if the attachments are not healthy ones, or attachments that come around are not healthy ones, what happens? We attach to unhealthy behaviors or substances because we're craving attachment. We're craving love. We're actually craving transcendence. I've talked to many young men and women, or not so young men and women, who were addicted to all kinds of stuff, some horrible stuff. Drugs, alcohol, heavy drugs, dangerous ones, sex addictions, gambling addictions, other addictions as well. When you talk to someone in that state, especially when they're driven, it sounds like love. They're in love with it. It's irrational. It's passionate. Nothing can stop you. Sick, like love sickness, it's called. We're you were driven all the way. The only thing is the object of the desire, the object of the addiction, of the temptation, is a destructive one. It's controlling you instead of you controlling it. But it's a clearly an act of love. I remember one scene goes back when I was uh, a teenager. So I had a classmate, wonderful person, sensitive, beautiful, beautiful soul. I love talking to him wise but sensitive unfortunately he fell on bad times he lost his father or he'd never known his father if I recall correctly I knew his mother but I remember his father and he he was always somewhat listless a little lost at sea and then he got himself into trouble he started I remember gambling he invited me once to come play poker I didn't want to go he started with some drugs pot other things and we remained friendly. But then I remember once meeting him, years later. His eyes were hollow. It was not the person. It was like the person I knew without a soul. Can't say without a soul, but the soul was quite concealed. It was quite dark. He was almost unable to look at me. Because we knew each other in much purer times before innocence was lost. I remember I asked him, how are you? He couldn't really talk. 
Later I found out from someone he was living in a basement somewhere, barely, that he had just taken some, he was just, uh, he was a heroin addict. I cry, to be honest. I cry now when I think about it. This beautiful soul. Taking rubber bands, tightening, tightening his arm to find a, 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 a vein. After all, the veins were already used up, so to speak. That rush, the need for that rush. And when you see it, you experience it, you see an act of love. However, it's a love completely lost, completely misplaced, completely misdirected. But it's an act of love. Can we channel that passion towards something healthy? Not easy, because once you're addicted, the object, even though it's only the object of the addiction, it's only the object of the desire, but the object becomes so much you feel indispensable to you. How do you separate the object from the love and direct the love to something healthy? It's also in a way easier, as dangerous as it may be. You don't have to deal with another person. You don't have to have a conversation. You don't have to be vulnerable. You can numb that inner part of your pain and you'll release it through one form of addiction or another. Take sexual addiction. Very similar. They're all acts of love but misplaced love. The love is going in the wrong place. What I would like to say to you, and to each of us, is that you can reclaim the love you deserve. But it takes work, but more than work, it takes awareness. You have to begin with that awareness that it's capable, you're capable of it, it's possible. We are now in a month of love. It's actually called the month of love. This in Hebrew month of El, the sign is Virgo, Psula. It's about love. There's an acronym for this month. It's called I am to my beloved, my beloved to me. Pasturing, grazing among the roses. Think of those words. I am to my beloved and my beloved to me. Two entities. One is not swallowing up, one is not obliterating or annihilating the other. I to my beloved, my beloved to me. Two forces reciprocating, connecting, and they graze among the roses. Roses grow among thorns as well. But the thorns are there to protect the roses. And the love, interestingly, needs to be initiated. I am to my beloved. I don't wait for my beloved to me. It's not conditional. Oh, if you reach out to me, you show a gesture, I'll respond. Initiate. Think of what you're looking for in your life and find someone that can respond. Love is not just what you give. It's the greatest thing you give, who you are. But to give, you need to be a very secure to be a giving person. You all know the scene in the Frisco Kid. The bank, the train robber is about to jump off. He's taken everybody's jewelry and purses and money. He's about to jump off the train and he tells everybody, remember the lesson in life. It's always better to give than to take. And with that, he jumps off. He's the one that took. Giving is a sign of security. I am secure enough to give. Those that hoard, 
that have difficulty giving are those that are insecure. They think if I give, I become less. Those that give know the more I give, the greater I become. So we're now in a special month, a special energy that allows us to access. And I say access because it's not new. It's revisiting a love that you've always had from the moment that you were conceived, from the moment you exist. Your soul is a loving entity. Souls are loving. They're transcendent in their very nature. And they're seeking transcendent partners. I remember writing, after a class, someone, a few people had asked me, I spoke about soulmates. How do you find your soulmate? So if you're interested, go to MeaningfulLife.com. Just write that. You'll find actually a list of, a list, a list of uh, signs. A checklist. How do you find your soulmate? How do you identify a soulmate? If you can't find it, just send us an email. I'll be happy to send it to you. So my dear and loving friends, love is as part and parcel of who you are, just like your lungs that breathe and your arteries and veins that pump, the heart that pumps blood through your arteries and veins and as any other part of your being, your mind, part of who you are. And it's the greatest part, more than oxygen, more than food and drink, more than sleep. As much as the body needs that, your soul is desperate for love, for connection, for transcendence, for soulfulness. Soul is compared to a flame. Look at a flame. Two flames come together. They melt into one. Material objects don't do that. It's something that's soulful that be able to, two things can be absorbed into one. Yes, there are alloys and there are chemical combinations that you can make that, but they ultimately still remain separate entities. Your soul is compared to a flame. And love in two, love is a flaming, fiery love, passionate love. There's also a watery love, but that's not for now. The point, my friends, is that we have this as our birthright. And now is a great time to work on it. If you're familiar with my book, 60 Days, it's a journey, the love journey. Love found, love lost, and love refound and rebuilt. It's a journey to find the connections in our lives, both physical connections, spiritual connections, transcendent connections, that make us more and greater than we can ever be. So I want to bless you and wish upon you to find the love within yourself, that connection and attachment to who you are, your calling, your mission, and by extension, finding your soulmate. Because it's hard to find a soulmate if you don't identify with your own soul. May we be blessed, especially in this month, to achieve that. Check out 60 Days. It's in book form. You can get an email, a daily email, podcast. And over the years, it's actually created a following of people doing 60 days together, a daily journey in discovering deeper love as we prepare also for the high holidays, the new year and renewal. May you have a loving life, a loving week, a loving day. It begins step by step. May this be a beginning for a new way of looking at love, a new way of looking at yourself, a new way of looking at others. Not through the selfish lens of materialism, and needs, but through the selfless lens of soul and transcendence. Be blessed.
This has been Simon Jacobson, Meaningful Life Center. As the name suggests, that's what we do. We try to bring meaning to people's lives. Or better said, life skills that help you discover your meaning in life, your purpose. Go to MeaningfulLife.com where you can find this program and many others and a full array and menu of options that address topics from A to Z, literally, in different formats. And I'd love to hear from you. Please send suggestions, thoughts, comments, questions, critique. And above all, please share. Loving is about sharing. Let's share with each other. Spread the light. One flame lights another flame. Add infinity without the first flame being diminished. On the contrary, the more flames, the greater all the flames become. And we join together, as different as we are, and create this massive flame that illuminates and warms our environment and the whole world around us. Everyone be well and be blessed. Thank you so much. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.